today on City Cash Chicago. Y'all already know what time it is. We're looking back on another week in the dopest city in the world. Joining me to do so are Block Club Chicago's Maxwell Evans and WBEZ's Adora Namigade. It's Friday, February 18th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is City Cash Chicago. I was on TTW uh, not too long ago, and I've been on Reset, and, you know, they're so nice. They're like, these are the things we're going to talk about. Here's, like, a list of things. And me, I'm just like, can y'all bring some stories with y'all? I love to hear what y'all was working on, what y'all talking about. I've never been asked to do an interview where I was actually helping select the topic, so I was like, well, I'm a little bit overwhelmed, but excited for the challenge. And I love that we frame it as, like, we want to know what you're talking about, and I'm just glad y'all are like, no, motherfucker, you asked me to do work. <laughs> That's what you're asking me to do. This was free labor, and I expect a paycheck. (laughs) Before we jump into the rundown, am I correct in this? Both of y'all are from Michigan originally. Is that right? Oh, you are, Maxwell? Kalamazoo, the best city in the world. Kalamazoo in Detroit. Uh, That is not the best city. Detroit is the best city. But I respect your people. Motherfuckers, y'all know City Cash Chicago. (laughs) This is the best city in the world. Y'all both Okay, that's true. That's true. Let me not fight him. (laughs) Michigan is the best state in the world. Can we agree with that? Amen. Amen. No, it, no. Chicago is a state. <laughs> Illinois is our subsidiary. Like we do business with them occasionally. So yeah, let's let's jump into the recap. Let's let's break down this uh, last February week in Chicago. Adora, I'm gonna kick it to you first. What was a story that throughout the week you were paying very close attention to? So honestly, and. I know this is the same for a lot of people, but COVID-19, I've been doing a lot of reporting on what's going on with the governor's deadline and with the mayor and with the public health director in terms of the possible lifting of masks and vaccination mandates. So I've just been following those numbers day after day, looking to see which categories move from high to substantial, substantial to low. Mm -hmm. And you've really covered this from some really beautiful perspectives. You talked about um, how the vaccine mandate has impacted young people and their uptick of getting shots. You've talked about how it's impacted the faith community. Is there any particular like group that you've watched throughout this and really have been kind of playing a close idea of how the pandemic and these sort of waffling COVID-19 numbers, how they've impacted people, whether it is, again, the governor, faith, schools? Yeah, I really love that question. So I think at this point, in terms of who is protecting themselves and who's not, it really seems like the people who are being moved to take the step toward something like vaccination are people who are able to have heart-to-heart real conversations with people who... Um, who don't really like judge them, quote unquote, for not having gotten the vaccine yet. And so I'm really paying attention to those people who are able to foster relationships where they're able to talk to people on a heart to heart level and make it known why it's important to get vaccinated personally. So, for example, um, there's a group of pastors on the south side that were like, hey, we have religious influence in this community. We have a voice that people listen to. And so we need to use that to just give people basic education on what vaccination means and not make people feel dumb or ashamed that they haven't taken the step yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like church in particular lives at such an interesting intersection in the pandemic. It's not only a gathering place. It's not only a place people go for resources, for support, for community, but it potentially could also be a reason to not get the 
vaccine in terms of religious exemptions. Ironically, uh, yeah. In terms of getting your information and, and how you move through your society from from your pastor or your faith leader. Have, have you seen... Uh, like, you know, churches having to navigate the conversation of the pandemic and vaccine just in a different way than maybe schools or work offices. Absolutely, because I also just find there's very different groups in terms of beliefs about the vaccine, like you said. So, for example, um, I'm Catholic and there's just a wide variety of how people even feel about the vaccine among Catholic circles. And so I'm a member of one parish where people take it really seriously. But I have a lot of friends who go to this other parish where, you know, most people don't wear masks, even though they're supposed to. Most people aren't vaccinated. And that's actually like a badge of honor for them. So I do get whiplash sometimes. And I'm like, wow, this is just within one faith. Max, um, what what was a story that when you were looking through it this week, you you really thought to yourself, man, this has got my attention? Yeah, so I haven't really had to think about that. Um, by far, it's been the uh, news that the Southside Recycling Permit decision will be coming um, at some point this week. Um, this is something that I've covered pretty intensely for the last two years. And then before that, um, the uh, General Lyons situation is something that my colleague Hannah Alani had covered uh, for, for a couple years prior to that. So this is really the culmination of at least three years, depending on how far you want to look back. I mean, uh, a general iron was in, in Lincoln Park for o over a century. So it's a real a culmination to a story that's had a lot of different kind of tentacles uh, in all parts of the city, from the north side to the southeast side. And so with the permit decision expected um, in the next few days, uh, that's that's been my focus. I've been preparing uh, either way it goes, stories and trying to figure out um, how to combine all of my past reporting, all of everyone's past reporting on this subject. So Can you kind of catch our listeners up, because like you said, this has been going on for two years. What's the the basic hold up here? What is the city deciding on? Yeah. So what happened on Tuesday is they held their final community meeting regarding this health impact assessment about uh, Southside Recycling and how it could potentially uh, not only impact the health, but the quality of life and the environment on the southeast side. And so they were moved to do this in May. So it's been, what, nine months that the permit decision has been on delay. And so what this report had found is really that it wouldn't add any significant health impacts beyond what is already in the community. Um, but as numerous residents have said, as the city itself said at this meeting on Tuesday, just maintaining the status quo, uh, that the southeast side is already so overburdened with industry, so overburdened with pollution that it's not necessarily a good thing to say you're maintaining the status quo. And so it's kind of hard to get a read on what the permit decision is going to be based off of all these factors. We're, we're, we're just going to get the decision here this week. You know, as you talk to people who live in this neighborhood, do they feel hopeful that all of these delays, all of these assessments will lead to not only this um, you know, potential company not being allowed to be in the neighborhood, but also maybe a reconsideration of the industries that are in the neighborhood or are people maybe losing hope as this drags on longer and longer and longer. I think it's really less about hope or trust. And I would say it's less about hope um, in, in how this would go or if their, their efforts will prove fruitful and more about the city government um, and the lack of trust that, that the residents seem to have in, in this decision making process. If it doesn't get approved, does does that say something about the power of local organizations, people who have sued the city, have, have filed these complaints, who've rallied and held hunger strikes? Is that a sign that, you know, those efforts worked or that the city decided this wasn't, you know, that they're just going to move this to some other, you know, vulnerable community? 
No, that's a, that's a really interesting question because what I'm uh, what what's kind of just a fact about this situation is that like metal recycling does have to happen, and it's just a matter of where's that going to happen. And so I would I, I'm really not sure if if this gets denied, where metal recycling would end up. It's really um, it's really a question that I can't answer. I think that's that's really what it is. Being such a large city, there are always stories that are taking place that don't get as much attention, that kind of fall under the radar for, for one of many reasons. Uh, and so we love to just take some time to to shine some light on them. Adora, I'm going to kick it back to you. What was the story that you wanted to make sure more people heard about this week? I think one thing I want to highlight is by a colleague, actually Christian Schorsch. Um, she was doing some reporting earlier this week on how the state isn't really keeping track of who is receiving the different COVID-19 treatment drugs that are available. Um, so since they're not keeping track, the Department of Public Health, that just means we don't have information on like who is benefiting from the drugs, which patients. Um, and so they're looking to start planning to keeping track of those, but um, it's just not really clear yet who is benefiting and how. I've had a hard time navigating through this, but there are treatments that are available to people who, if they got COVID, or is this something to prevent COVID? Can you kind of help me with that? Yes. It's like if you got COVID and you're kind of like in the early stages, as soon as you recognize you have it, you could potentially be eligible to receive one of these treatments. But you have to like get a prescription from your doctor and then like get the treatment from a pharmacy. So you can't just walk in as a layman and pick them up off the shelf over the counter. Mm -hmm. And And the big issue that your colleague is covering is that while we've done work to make these treatments available to some people, we haven't been doing a good job of following up to find out like, oh, is this something we can give to more people? Is this something we need to expand? How are people like reacting to it? It's more like we don't know who exactly received the treatments. Mm. Uh, Max, what was a story uh, as you were moving through the week that you wanted to, to kind of mark and make sure that, that you brought more light to it? Yeah, so I covered this late last week, and uh, it's obviously still relevant. I mean, it's a subject I've been covering for a few months. It's about um, efforts to prevent, quote-unquote, vacancy fraud in uh, neighborhoods and business corridors that have a lot yeah. of empty storefronts. And so I've heard time and time again, especially living in South Shore, where all three of the business uh, corridors, 71st, 75th, and 79th, are either hovering around or above 50% vacancies uh, with their storefronts. And so um, a few months ago, I covered an effort to get a county ordinance to address this issue. And that kind of escalated um, recently with a, uh, a state house bill that was introduced that would uh, try and penalize landlords who get this vacancy tax relief, who claim that they're not able to find tenants and, and kind of exploit that while not really paying any attention to their property, not communicating with potential buyers. In reporting on this, I've also heard from realtors, I've heard from landlords themselves and They've said that, yes, that's great. Like, we don't want to be associated with people who are exploiting communities. But also there are many other ways, like zoning changes, like allowing some residents or, or live workspaces to, to uh, come into these empty businesses and kind of uh, uh, saying that we're in a pandemic. Like, maybe not everybody's a or interested in starting a physical business right now, and that could be driving vacancies. So it's really not only this bill that could be one approach, but just putting the issue that... We have a ton of vacant storefronts. We have a lot of disinvestment from these communities and kind of trying to gather as many different ways to uh, address that problem as, as possible. Can you kind of talk about like what does that do 
to a community? How does a a piling up of just like vacant properties and businesses impact the overall health of a neighborhood? Yeah, and so I actually have, um, I believe this was last summer, um, 75th Street is kind of like, in South Shore where I live, that's kind of like the poster child for what this can do because you walk down 75th and it really is like a ghost town, especially at night. If you're if you're on that stretch at night, there's little lighting, all these boarded up or vacant buildings providing no sort of life or energy to the community. And then you walk a few blocks up and there are these beautiful homes, these beautiful two, three flats, four flats. And like I went out last summer to this community cleanup of 75th Street and people were like, we put this money and time and effort into taking care of our homes and to making sure our neighborhood looks beautiful. We are just so tired of doing that. Like, it's not our responsibility to take over uh, cleanups and take over beautification efforts from these absentee landlords. And so it really is kind of a demoralizing thing to like have this beautiful home, have this place you've committed your family, committed your money into, and then you walk a block down and it looks like a ghost town despite your best efforts. So um, I, I personally, like, I love South Shore. I love the residential neighborhoods. I love the people here. And in terms of walking down the business corridors, it can be really kind of sad because it makes you feel like, do other people care about this community? Are the people that have invested in commercial properties trying to sell this out or are they trying to like build here? And so um, especially with the Obama Center coming and the massive changes that that could provide, it does kind of demoralize you into thinking like, oh, maybe this is what they're waiting on. Maybe you will start to see development now. Ladore, is that something you noticed since you you moved to Chicago? Yeah, it's interesting because I'm actually um, trying to buy a condo like within the next few months. But yeah, it, it's it fascinates me more largely how different parts of the city just feel so completely different from one another. But I'm like, how is this the same place? You know, how is this all Chicago? My G, like that phrase alone it's probably one of the most it's it's the phrase I probably say the most to myself since starting this podcast. It's Cause I definitely I like it, you know, I grew up in the hood, so I knew like what the shits of Chicago looked like. Mm. But I didn't know what the opposite really looked like. Interesting. I asked myself that so many times, just like, is how is this all the same fucking place? And you realize it's not. It was actually designed to be about Ooh. fifty different places in, inside of these inside of these boundaries, all intentional. Everybody's participated in it, from the university uh, to the alder people to to the people who live in the community. Everybody's had a a hand in making this little segregated place feel like one, yet fifty places at once. It's very important for me that the people leave the show not feeling completely in the shits or in the dump. Like we just took them out to the alley and left them. Uh, and so I try to make sure with every show that the people That's leave why I love with your a little show. bit of <clears throat> some good news <laughs> to get them through the weekend. Because Chicago is not just disinvestment and hurt. It is also joy and survival and people coming together uh, to make this as as good a place as possible to live. Uh, and so I'm going to fo- force you Michiganites to give me some Chicago good news for the people. Um, Max, I'm going to start with you, though. Uh, now my producer saying it's a Michigander. Y'all, not Michiganites, y'all. Michiganders. That's true. I didn't want to call you out, yeah, but it is Michigander. Michiganders. Michiganders. That is the term. No, no, please, please. Come. I'm sorry. 
Michigan Knights, Michiganders. You just were having so much fun. You know, I didn't want to. Honestly, ruin y'all, y'all could have. It's Michigander. Michigander, like a juice. I would have sat here with a blank okay. face that said, "Well, uh, we in Chicago now, and uh, <laughs> nobody knows if you a Michigander or a Michigoose. Like, don't nobody give a damn." <laughs> <laughs> okay, put some respect on our name. Lake Michigan is named after what state? The best state. Anyway, go ahead. Mm. I can't mm. say nothing to that. That that is a can't say nothing. That is, Shoot, that is, but we love Chicago. That is a we do. great point. It is not Lake <laughs> Illinois. So Illinois. All right. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Let me let me shut my ass up. But uh, Max, I will start with you. What's some good news you want to leave the people with? Um, I, I covered this really wonderful situation in Pullman where they are trying to um, basically recreate in different time periods from when Pullman was a, an industrial powerhouse and, and providing train cars for the nation. And uh, th- so they're in the 1890s in World War II, uh, post-World War I, uh, the 1893 World's Fair. They're really developing all of these different kind of period piece apartments um, and, and trying to reflect what life was like in Pullman for these workers, for the executives, for the people making just a little money here on the side, the people making all the money off this industry. So it's really a wide ranging kind of like time machine bringing people back that'll uh, uh, it'll debut this spring with tours of all these houses in Pullman they've redeveloped and, and kind of recreated. So um, in that story, I, I'm, I'm a history nerd. Like, I love hearing about these kinds of things. It's now a national monument, too. So uh, maybe there will be some more attention to that neighborhood in those tours. But, uh, yeah, just get the word out that, like, if you love history, if you love industrial history, you love the South Side history, like, please check out these Pullman House tours from the Pullman House Project. People, get y'all ass down to Pullman. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering where Pullman is, come on, <laughs> A Open national up. monument. We have a national, basically a national park in the city of Chicago. You've got to make sure you check that out. Mm-hmm. Now, Adora, what is your some good news? I am very excited. To get the people through the weekend. <laughs> I'm very excited that it is Chicago Theater Week. So through the 27th. Let's go see yeah, that Yeah, tons of discounted tickets, 67 different shows to choose from, from 50 different venues. I was doing a story about this mm-hmm. yesterday, and while I was waiting for phone calls back, I was like, I need to buy some tickets for myself. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, Which I did, by the way. So. Okay, what you going to see? Okay, well, here's what's awkward. So I'm taking someone as a surprise to see something, but they don't know what the surprise is. So if I tell you, it's going to ruin the surprise because they're going to listen to this podcast. So I'll tell you when we're off this call. Okay. Thank you. Well, then you got to tell me something you're going to see on your own. Like what's something you bought for you or what's something you're interested because I was going to talk about Chicago Theater Week too. I'll get a different good news, but I, I, Women of Soul at Mercury Theater- I believe it's like a celebration of some of the greatest black women voices in music history. So, you know, Janet Jackson, Tina Turner, Mahalia Jackson, Diana Ross, Edda James, like just fire. And I'm not actually sure Everyone. how the plot or how the play goes, like what's the <laughs> what you experience. I just saw those names, saw the title and didn't even want to spoil it for myself. I was like, I'm going to see this. If you can get out to see a show, I know there are some virtual opportunities as well. Like tap into Chicago Theater Week. My good news, I'm going to keep it small. It was going to be Theater Week, but I'm so excited for the All-Star Game this week up in Cleveland. Again, in the words of Joe Kim Noah, who goes to Cleveland? (laughs) What's in Cleveland? I never heard anybody saying, I'm going on vacation to Cleveland. 
But uh, I will be tuned in to Cleveland this weekend for the All-Star Game. And a lot of it has to do with following my boy DeMar DeRozan. He is on a streak right now. I think he just broke Will Chamberlain's record for most 35-point games in a row with over 50% field goal shooting, something like that. It's a random, obscure stat that all sports uh, uh, leagues like to create to hype people up. But, like, DeMar DeRozan is playing the best basketball of his entire career. He's going to be an all-star starter in Cleveland playing on the LeBron James team, which is 4-0 since they changed the all-star game format. And, and so I'm just excited to see Debo go out there and ball. I know the last time I was on, uh, that was my good news, was DeMar DeRozan being DeMar DeRozan. So, like, that's my uh-huh. guy. I'm so happy to see him. <laughs> that's and funny. it ain't slowed down, baby. This was, yeah, this was months ago. I got to catch up. And, like, we're still putting him on the good news. Like, he's going to be MVP this year, I guarantee it. It has been such a pleasure to sit down with y'all covering South Shore, Woodline, Hyde Park, and other parts of the Southeast side from Block Club Chicago, my man Maxwell Evans. And it was such a pleasure to meet you, to have you on the show from WBEZ, Adora Namagade. Thank y'all for joining me today. Lovely time. Thank you. Look, when I saw your name, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm crying because I love your podcast. And then I was like, I will happily do it. Before I let you go, as you know, this is a team effort. And every single day, we're showing up, working hard to try to bring you the best possible podcast and newsletter. And now, we got an extended weekend. I'm checking in to see how the team plans on spending their weekend. Lead producer, Carrie Shepard. This weekend, I get to see my sister, brother-in-law, and two nephews for the first time since 2020. Producer Simone Alisea. My goals this weekend are to sleep, finish a puzzle, and maybe cook something nice. Producer joining us from La La Land, Natalie Rivera. I'm actually going to go see the new uh, JLo rom-com, Marry Me, with one of my best friends. Uh, we love to see cheesy rom-coms. That's kind of our thing, so should be fun. Producer joining us out of H-Town, Carleon Jones. Me and some of my friends were talking about having an activities weekend, um, doing some things like bowling, maybe skating, top golf. Um, we also mentioned this ATV park that we have in Houston. And newsletter writer Sydney Madden. I'm hanging out with my cousin who is visiting before she moves to Chicago next month. Me, I ain't really got no plans. When I'm not watching all-star related events, I'm gonna be sleeping. I got to give a huge shout out to the folks who make the music here at CityCast Chicago. That's Sam Trump and Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. And remember, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a rating, a review, so that more people can find us. And if you want to reach out to us directly and let us know your thoughts, you can always text us or call us at 773-780-0246. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Talk to you on Tuesday. Peace. That was so fun, y'all. Thank you for the for the labor. <laughs>